listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 314. Hey, Paige. Hi, Mark. I don't want to say it's hot outside because we've been saying that all summer, but it's nasty outside. Um, but you know what? What? We're getting ready to head to cooler climates. Oh, are we? Are, we, they, we are abs- they not under a heat wave as, as well? <laughs> Their heat wave isn't really a heat wave. Uh-oh. So uh, next week, Paige and I will be out in uh, Southern California, uh, courtesy of Prairie Operating Company. Big shout out to those people. And we're actually going to spend a couple of days at the Tarant. Terrena Resort. Terrenia. Terrenia Resort. Um, and we're going to be rubbing elbows with the operating company people, looking at their investments, their properties. Um, may even uh, run across a couple of uh, Texas celebrities in the oil and gas industry. Or politicians. Or politicians. So um, big shout out, Prairie Operating Company. Thank you for doing that, guys. We look forward to seeing you. And then another thing, Paige, you know, when I get stuff wrong, I own up to it because I need to make sure we educate our audiences. And it was so nice. So I had a Caroline Toman, Caroline Toman, uh, reach out to me uh, from from Canada. Uh, she actually works for Suncor. And remember when I talked about the uh, de- deforestation, especially of rainforests, being c- caused by the uh, growth and cultivation of palm oil, which is used to make biodiesel and jet fuel. Yeah. Well, she actually works in their renewable fuels division. And she reached out to me and she goes, Mark, she goes, I love the show. She goes, based on the research I've done, I don't think you're right about that. So I went and did How a, so? I went and did a deep dive. So I am right in the fact that most of the deforestation, especially in the rainforest, is caused by um, companies and individuals wanting to grow um, palm oil, and they're cutting down the rainforest to grow palm oil. Palm oil is used for a lot of stuff. Almost every food item, especially if it's packaged, has palm oil in it, and there's reasons why. It's also used a lot for cosmetics, and it's also used to make uh, biofuels, right? Uh, renewable fuels like jet fuel, but not to the degree that I thought of. The other thing is I didn't realize that there are certifying organizations. So here in Europe and Australia, uh, the companies that buy the palm oil um, to make renewable fuels, make sure that it's ethically harvested and they can prove it. The problem is the rest of the world doesn't care. And I didn't realize there's a black market for unethical palm oil, like there's a black market for everything else. So um, thank you so much, Caroline, for reaching out to me, uh, helping me educate myself so I can educate the audiences. So audiences, renewable uh, jet fuel, renewable diesel is not causing deforestation in the rainforest. Um, the growth of palm oil is, but it's being used for other things. Um, and I'm going to keep my eye on this because the other thing that I, I'm worried about is just human nature in the fact that as there's a bigger and bigger demand for renewable fuels, there will be a bigger and bigger demand for palm oil. And at some point, somebody's going to make a choice between doing the right thing and making sure it's ethical palm oil and the wrong thing, which is um, bringing in black market palm oil. We're actually going to talk about this same problem that happens in the hydrocarbon oil business a little bit later. But uh, once again, so, so audience, I was wrong. Uh, biofuels are not causing the deforestation in the rainforest. Uh, thank you so much, Caroline, for, for reaching out. Uh, we're actually probably going to get her on the ESG uh, or the energy transition show oh, to cool. help educate our audiences further about biofuels. 
Right so, on. audience, when you hear me and you think I'm wrong about something, you do some research, reach out to me and let me know. The most important thing is that I come back, correct not only myself, but make sure our audiences are well-educated in, in the facts. Um, and in this, this case, I got this one wrong. Yep. It happens. You're only human, Mark. I don't know if you know that. You're only human. <laughs> like Robert? <laughs> no, that's not what that says at all. It says Robert's energy. So oh. now, now we're going to read reviews now that you brought that up. Um, so it's five-star review from someone that works at Robert's Energy, which is uh, also the VP of sales. Guys, love the podcast. Thanks for doing it. I force all of my salesmen <laughs> <laughs> to listen to it every week and then quiz them randomly <laughs> so they stay on top of their game. We are a downstream company and would love to hear more about refined products and downstream-related topics, if possible. Thanks again. And the guy you're, that left this is Matt Dusigold. That that looks right. Sorry if I butchered it, but yeah. thank oh, you and, so much for the review. Oh, and this I just remember this. Remember Paige me telling you about our review that came from a couple of years ago? This is it. So, oh, so Matt, no you kidding. left this a couple of years ago. We use a tool to harvest our reviews because there's over a hundred different um, um, Apple podcast stores depending on geographically where you are, and this tool pulls from all of them. If you look at reviews, you Except just this see person's more. from the United States. Right. So but what I'm explaining is what happened. Somehow our tool just surfaced your review like last week. So if you're wondering why a couple years ago we never read your review, we never saw it. And for some reason it just surfaced. So uh so Matt, um Thank you for being patient. <laughs> we, we got to you eventually. Yeah, eventually. Eventually. All right. Well, let's get into the news stories. First up is IEA says global oil demand hits record and prices may climb. This is this is good news for everybody other than the, the ones that have to pay a little bit more to fill up our cars at the uh, gas station. Um, so for the first time, we, we passed 103 million barrels per day of demand uh, since, uh, since, well, first time ever, right? But especially since the pandemic. Um, all demand is can continue to go up. Um, there's a bunch of reasons for it, but basically, um, society is getting more and more closer back to normal post-pandemic. Um, our world's um, uh, countries are moving toward a more Western style of life, um, moving out of rural agrarian uh, societies and moving into more cities, which means you need more fuel and the uh, products you make from petroleum. Um, so. Um, this is just crazy good stuff. The demand is this high. Now, of course, that means that supply has to keep up or prices are going up. And if you notice, OPEC has made some cuts. Um, and you also notice that the drilling rig count is starting to go down. All this together is why I'm thinking at the very end of this year and beginning of next year, we're going to see a pretty big bump in price in crude oil. Um, let's hope that when that bump happens that we don't do what we tend to always do, which is overproduce and then drive the, the prices right. down to nothing. Um but this is this is good news. This is the world's get is is closer and closer to normal. We're providing more cheap, reliable, abundant energy to the world. Um, so just it's good that that the oil demand has hit record highs. Highs. Let's just watch it, watch our prices. Yep. Uh, Occidental and Climeworks big winners as Biden allocates billions for CO two removal. So this is Occidental doing what's called DAC direct air capture. Uh, they do it. Uh, Exxon does it. Um, it's almost a, a race now between these two companies, which one's going to make it big. Because in order to make money on this, it has to be big because the concentration of CO2 in the air is so ridiculously small. You know what percentage of, of our atmosphere is CO2, Beige? No, I don't. Point zero four. And so everybody's making a big deal. Well, that's what about, separate conversation. Okay. But to have to point, have to pull point zero four of something out of anything, fluid, 
uh, atmosphere, whatever, it takes work and that work has cost. And you have to make sure that you can sell whatever you're pulling out for more than it cost you. This is the U.S. Department of Energy investing over a billion dollars that in basically giant vacuums that suck carbon dioxide out of the air. Um, this is um, this money that's come from the bipartisan infrastructure law. Amoxicillin is taking full use of it and partnering um, with Climeworks. This is an interesting approach. You know, Vicky has done a really good job running that company. She's taken over, although she's caught yep. hell in the press. Um, this is going to be uh, this the CO2 is going to be further commercialized. You heard me say this a hundred times. They're going to move it in pipelines. They're going to store it in, in reservoirs, old depleted reservoirs, and then they're going to pull it back out and they need to do stuff like enhanced oil recovery. Um, it's going to take them at least ten years to to get to this place. Um, but the other thing I didn't realize is there's starting to be a demand for uh, carbon dioxide to actually make building products. So to make things similar to, to concrete, but that doesn't have the carbon emissions. So um, uh, two other things that's going on is we, there's this is the first of two hubs that are being funded. After these two hubs are funded, two more will be funded. This is showing how the oil and gas industry, number one, is responding to the world's uh, um, ask uh, for us to help pull more carbon dioxide out of our environment. Number two, it's also showing how if anybody can do big, large, very complex, very expensive global projects and do it properly, it's this industry. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, life is like it is. Total Energies. <laughs> I love how you laugh before you even finish reading it. Total Energies CEO defends strategy despite calls to cut fossil fuel production. So Total is one of the super majors like BP, Chevron, Exxon. Um, they've caught hell in public. They have uh, um, activists just like the other big super majors sitting on their board. Uh, everybody's asking them to, to stop investing money in hydrocarbons and invest money in renewables. And their CEO basically says, life is what life is. This is not reality. What you're asking us to do, number one, can't be done. Number two, it's not good for you, even though you don't know it. Um, it's not good for the world. It's not good for the public. Now, they've had a bunch of, of activists uh, riot around their their last uh, shareholder meeting like the Shell had and, and everybody else. Uh, the, theirs was so bad, the French police had to come out and use tear gas to disperse the rioters. Um, but like it's a great quote in here. Today, our society requires oil and gas. Uh, why we are together is eighty percent of of, um, of energy is being that's needed. Eighty percent of it comes from fossil fuels. There is no way to think that overnight we can eliminate all of that and rely on ten percent low carbon energy. Um, this is what I've been talking about, people. This coming to realization that the oil and gas industry needs to focus on its core business, which is powering mankind, do it in a way it's environmentally responsible, and push back against the uneducated and the people out there that, that don't appreciate the value that we bring to the world, and also push back against the people that don't understand the basic science of what we right. do. Right, yeah. Um, this, is, this is needed. Um, you're, you, you saw ExxonMobil and Chevron basically never go down this route and say that we keep producing hydrocarbons. They caught flack for that, but they were proven right. You're seeing Shell and BP go, you know what? We invested too much money in renewables. In fact, we have change in management. In fact, we're going to change our corporate headquarters and get back to our hydrocarbon roots. And this is total uh, uh, stand in line with everybody else. I, I will say, though, their CEO, to put it in that language, I love him. I, like, <laughs> just, <laughs> this is how it He's is. He's like, it is what it is, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, 
all of the super majors take pride in producing hydrocarbons environmentally responsibly. Um, Total is no different in that. They do great work on making sure that they have as little impact on the environment as possible. And when they do impact the environment, if something does happen, they clean it up. They fix it. So um, this is real life world. Um, and this is, this is what he said. So what's next? Um, what's next is I think there's a typo in this title. Anyway, I'll read it. Africa Energy Chamber. South Africa must use its natural resources to address energy poverty. Now, is, <laughs> should it be poverty? It's poverty, yeah. Okay, because their URL is also wrong. Hey, wor- hey World Oil, uh, if you need help proofreading your articles <laughs> where they go out for a small fee, <laughs> we can help you okay. out there. I can't Side make, gig it. We, we, we do it, too, sometimes, World Oil, so it's, it's okay. No, you do it. I don't uh, do it. All right, so this is South African's Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, uh, Gwen Masta. Um, pushing back against all the environmental groups around the world that are basically looking at Africa saying you need to not develop your hydrocarbon resources and you need to develop renewable resources. And he's basically giving them the middle finger and saying, you know what? You went through your industrial revolution. You're talking to me and my country and my citizens how we should not develop hydrocarbons from your air-conditioned house and your 3,000-pound a car and your five flat screen TVs yeah. and your ability to have food on the table that's grown with fertilizer made from natural gas. You're a hypocrite, everybody that's doing this. And and once again, this is the stuff that people need to hear, including the climate activists. If the climate activists would have their way, we'd all be back living in clay caves again. And people, I'm an environmentalist. I am literally a degree environmentalist. I love the natural world supported, but I understand how it works and I understand how science works. Um, now, his statements unfortunately were not very well received um, from the environmental groups. Um, 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 it, it was actually very well received, though, from a lot of the, the local governments who are looking at the oil and gas industry to bring in jobs, money, prosperity, infrastructure. Uh, and it's just quite, quite frankly, it's just wrong for the Western environmentalists and the environmental lobbies to try to interfere with Africans' growth of their own country. Go do stuff in your country. Mind your business. Mind your business, right? Let Africa do what it needs to do to pull its people out of poverty. People, babies are still being born by candlelight in Africa. I did some research for one of our other shows, The Balance Point. Here in the U.S., 100% of the people have access to electricity, have to energy. They may not be able to afford it, but they have access. Mm-hmm. In Africa, even if you have the money, only 49% have even have access to sense, it. That makes sense, yeah. Right? So, so leave them alone. And, and I'm glad this guy's standing up for the rights of his people um, because the hydrocarbon business is going to pull Africa out of poverty. Um, they, they still have to struggle a little bit with, with corruption, but we've all been through that. Every country's been through that. Um, I think Africa is, is the future for hydrocarbons in the world, and this is a, a good to see people and leadership understand that yep yep okay here's some downstream stuff for you matt downstream petroleum workforce could face potential skills shortages yeah so listen to this this is a sobering number you know you and i've talked about how young people don't want to come work in our industry right for yeah it's years. been a struggle yeah in the u.s um there's been a 52 percent drop in apprenticeships and if you don't know what an apprenticeship is, it's, it's actually a really cool thing that goes back a long ways in history. Whereas if you wanted to be a blacksmith, let's say, you would go and pledge your apprenticeship to a blacksmith. You were then his laborer. And over a few years, he would teach you the blacksmith trade. Oh, to that just reminds me of an, an electrician. That's still an, a thing. It's still a thing. thing. It's still yeah. with the skilled trades, right? Yeah. Pipe fitting, welding, machine, electricity, they still do apprenticeships. Right. The, the downstream part of our industry has always done apprenticeships because a lot of stuff they do, you do nowhere 
else, right? It's the only way to learn. So there's been over a 50% drop in new apprenticeships since 2016 till now. That's that's sobering. Yeah. Um, the other thing is this part of the industry is getting ready to go through a renaissance around carbon dioxide. They're going to p- play a part in the moving process of carbon dioxide. Of course. Juice. And so we need more people to do this. Um, but now our world's young people don't want to come work in oil and gas. And, and if they do come work in oil and gas, they tend to gravitate toward upstream, which is kind of sexy and fun and high tech. Nobody thinks about downstream. So um, the only solution to this uh, is, quite frankly, technology. Um, this is going to force the downstream companies out there to adopt new technologies when they can't hire people, which in the long term... Well, I mean, adaptation, so yeah. In the long term, it's going to be good because you know, less people you have working in stuff like this, less people get hurt. But at the same time, it's probably going to drive cost up, um, and that cost will be passed on to the consumer, which is you and I. Well, yeah, because in those types of situations, isn't it... You, you you know how everything runs. So if you just hear something wrong, you know exactly what to do. You remember me telling you that story? Yeah. So I was in the ExxonMobil refinery. This is a long time ago in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And the plant manager, uh, she was walking me around. And, and I didn't hear anything different. But she literally got on the radio and said, hey, valve number 637 whatever is getting ready to lose its packing. She had worked there for so long that she could hear the way the valve sounded and knew something was wrong. No machine can do that. Not now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's that type of talent that not only are we losing, but think about what, what I just rattled off. If she would have had an apprentice, right? right? She could have taught them, this is what it sounds like. This is what it means. Now she doesn't have an apprentice. Yeah. So that knowledge when she retires, and she's probably already retired by now, is just gone. Yeah. Um, so um, it, th- this really sucks. The only other thing that may happen, especially here in the U.S., is that um, we may end up changing immigration laws, visa laws, so that we can have people from other countries come help us in our refineries. But some countries are so hard to get in from immigration point of view, like Australia, Japan, that that I don't know if that will happen. It's, it'll take a change in culture. Um, actually, now that I've said that, I think that's probably the solution is we'll end up just having to import labor to help us with this, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. All righty. Uh, North Dakota regulator rejects Summit Carbon <laughs> Solutions carbon pipeline application. I don't, I don't know how to respond to this emotionally. Part of me wants to laugh um, because this Carbon Solutions pipeline is was is being built in some ways to make the environmentalists happy, right? Right. But they're the ones that say they don't want the pipeline being built. That they 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 said. <laughs> um, so this company is, is Summit. Um, and basically, um, it's a, a joint venture with uh, Navigator, CO2 Ventures, and Wolf Carbon Solutions. And they're, they want to build this multi-state Midwest carbon pipelines in the effort to decarbonize the ethanol sector. So ethanol manufacturing produces tons of CO2, literally, um, and then help with climate change. But the uh, several um, organizations, including the Sierra Club in Iowa, have pushed back and opposed the carbon pipeline um, because – they don't want another pipeline being built because they're worried that it's going to be moving CO2 and then we're going to start moving oil in it. Well, Sierra Club, you're showing your ignorance. The pipeline that you build to move a gas under pressure is radically different radically construction different. than radically. a liquid under pressure. You can't <laughs> switch between those two. No, that's um, not how that works. So it's almost like the environmentalists don't know what to do with themselves. They just oppose anything and everything. They're a bunch of whiners. That's what I've 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 come to terms with. It's they just want to complain about something, anything yeah. to break someone else down. 
And so they were successful enough that the North Dakota Public Service Commission rejected the, the permit proposal, although the, um, the three companies had already done everything to get the permit approved. And now they're going to have to go back go back through the permitting uh, process and show uh, extra care, uh, extra burden of proof to make sure that they have a minimal effect to the environment where they're building this pipeline for the environment. Yeah. All righty. <laughs> you, you can't, can't make, make this stuff up. up. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right. So, U.S. oil refiners to defy heat run plants at mid 90% of capacity. These poor guys don't get yeah. a break. We just talked about how they can't hire people. Um, they've been running wide open since the pandemic and have not had a chance to do plan maintenance repairs. Um, they're running their equipment to the ground, and we have a heat wave. So you thought they'd get a little bit of a break? Nope. And if you don't know this, most of the refining capacity in the U.S. is in the Gulf Coast, which yeah. is right smack in Hurricane Alley. Mm-hmm. So we haven't had a storm yet, knock on wood, that we don't have any. If for some reason, But it's only August, Mark. Yeah, if for some reason we do have a storm come in the Gulf of Mexico and make landfall, it always pulls refineries down. Uh, Katrina was the worst one I've ever seen in my life, where literally every refinery in the Gulf Coast, all the way up to Baton Rouge, which is pretty far from the coast, came offline and there's yeah. no refinery going on except a little bit here in Texas. Now with this heat, the refiners are back up to maxing out their plants, um, um, making sure they get um, refined goods out as quickly as possible. Um, they're all just r- r- blown going. Now the interesting thing is because they're running so fast and so wide open, as long as you don't have a storm, it's going to allow the refineries that are in other parts of the country, um, like in uh, Illinois and, and Upper West Coast stuff, it's going to allow them to do plan maintenance repair. They can bring their, their, their parts of the refineries offline to do turnarounds, which hopefully, if we don't have a storm, once they do their turnarounds in this year, in the fall, they can bring their refineries back online, which will give the Gulf Coast refineries a little bit of a chance, hopefully, to do some plan maintenance and repair. So fingers crossed we have no storms. Fingers crossed we get out of this heat wave the U.S. is going to. Our refineries just need to rest for a little while, take a well, vacation. Well, so we're not going to jinx it, so no storms are coming in. So quit saying hopefully. Okay. I'm just going to go with we're not going to have a storm. I know it's unrealistic, but let's, you know, I'm a little superstitious. Anyway, all right, so next article is current carbon proposal is unworkable, U.S. power sector warns. So basically, our current political administration have set rules and standards around electrical production, the generation of electricity, one of which is how much carbon dioxide can be released by electrical generation plants. And basically, the entire country's group of electrical generation companies has come back to our current administration and go, are you crazy? Literally, this can't be done. It does the, the tools that you say that we need to use don't exist yet, especially at scale. The money that you say it's going to take to do this is a tenth of what it's going to actually cost. And oh, by the way, who's going to provide the electricity as we're doing all this stuff? And so the bottom line is, based on the CO2 standards, um, you're, they're going to put coal out of business. And, mm. and if you don't know this here and in Europe, we use coal for the backfill when we have more demand for electricity than we can supply with our renewables and our natural gas and fired uh, electrical plants we fire up coal 
um, to fill in the gaps, basically. And so if we can't fire up the coal, you're going to see rolling blackouts in this country, rolling blackouts in Europe. Well, let's just stay in the U.S., rolling blackouts in this country, which we never have rolling blackouts in this country. We're one of the few countries in the world. And if you've ever been to India or countries in Africa where rolling blackouts happen every day, you don't know how lucky you are to be an American and have the infrastructure and the cheap electricity uh, that we can provide to the entire country, no matter how hot or cold it is. But that only works if we can generate electricity from whatever um, power source uh, that we need or fuel supply. And so for this to basically eliminate coal is is utterly ridiculous. This is the EPA overstepping its bounds. and The norm. Well, let me, let me tell you what's, how bad it is. These companies that are that came back to our administration and saying you're crazy, this won't work, are also getting government subsidies to make it work. Ah. So normally they would be quiet because they're getting basically free money from the government. How bad is it when they're still getting the free money and they have to raise their hand and go, "This is not going to happen. This is this is this is suicide," yeah. which is what's going on. So fingers crossed that they don't force this down. The EPA does not force this down the electrical um, generation people's uh, throats and make them do this. The good thing is we have an election cycle coming up, and I got my fingers crossed, speaking of being superstitious, that some of this stuff just kind of goes away. And let's go back, at least here in this country, to having cheap, reliable energy for everybody. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, Chevron completes acquisition of PDC Energy. Yep, Chevron doing what it does. Good. It's like do we're, we're rocking the Permian. Who has acreage that we like? Oh, that company, we'll buy it. The, the short story, that's what it is. They picked up 275,000 uh, acres in the uh, DJ Basin. They picked up another uh, 25,000 acres in the Permian where Chevron's basically owning that space. Um, this is just Chevron doing good work. It's good for everybody as a normal acquisition is. Now you have the might of Chevron behind you. Um, the only jobs that will be lost are those few that are duplicate like HR. Yeah, the redundant. Uh, the redundant stuff. But this is just good stuff, good job. Job, Chevron. All right. Uh, natural gas production in the Permian, speaking of, region established a new record in 2022. This is amazing. So 21 billion cubic feet per day, which is 14% higher than it was in 2021. It's coming out just the Permian. This is why people, I tell you, if we get politics out of the way, literally our electrical electricity would be ridiculous. Ridiculously cheap because the amount of natural gas this country has. This is just one basin. Now, the the real story behind this is all the pipeline companies that are building pipe to take away all this gas. The amount that we can produce for the permanent is way more than this 21 billion cubic feet per day, but we have no way to get it to market. So this is driving pipelines to build new pipelines so we get the the takeaway. Um, This is just good for everything. It is interesting to watch liquids decline in the permanent, so basically less crude, more natural gas. Permian is, is, was always known basically for its crude capacity, and then the Marcellus, which is the, on the East Coast, uh, was known for the natural gas. Now the Permian's catching up with the Marcellus as far as natural gas production. So we have the abundant, abundant resources in the country. They're literally under your feet right now if you live in the U.S. It's just our own government and our rules and regulations are keeping us from bringing this stuff to market, which not only would help us, but will help the rest of the world. Uh, but I'm you know, proud of all the people out there in the Permian, out there in Midland and Odessa, sweating their butts off, getting yeah, stuff done. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, German gas storage operators seek supply boost until 2026, 27. Yeah, so they already know that they're, um, so they store their natural gas in reservoirs, underground reservoirs, just like we do here. Um, their, their underground reservoirs today, this is August of 2023, are right at 90% full, which sounds mm. like a good place to be. Yeah, it does. They already know that once they go through next winter, that's going to be down to about 10 or 12%. So they're looking two years out. Well, good for them. Yeah. Um, um, they're, what they're doing, and we've talked about this before, is they're building the largest floating uh, LNG terminals in the world, and they're building them quickly, like like amazingly quickly, like in a year, um, so they can import LNG from other countries like us. And then if you don't know, we have so much uh, natural gas here that it's really cheap for us to convert it to LNG to send to Germany, who's now building the infrastructure it needs to import this. So um, fingers crossed. I talked about this two years ago about how this past winter wasn't going to be the bad one for Europe. It was going to be next winter. And I'm still really worried, worried that and that winter is this winter we're headed into. Yeah. Um, so um, don't like to see people suffer in the cold at all. Um, or but, just period. Or period. But Germany, Germany's doing the right thing. Um, if they can keep uh, increasing their natural gas storage up until 2027, if they, once they get out of 2027, they'll be in a good place. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, Canada considered selling stake in Trans Mountain Pipeline to indigenous groups. Uh, and if you don't know why I'm laughing, I'm going to explain it to you. So this pipeline has been a mess. Um, this is originally, let me remember how this this was uh, Trans Canada. This originally it was Enbridge, and there's Trans Canada. Um, start this project. It's basically an expansion project. That's what we talked about last week, yep, right? Yep. And the cost was, was to be about $5 billion to do this, right? Well, then the government got involved and the cost ballooned from $5 billion to $23 billion, right? Then the government guaranteed um, a $10 billion loan to help get this project done. But then the indigenous tribes stepped in saying, we don't want this project to happen. So, a uh, bunch of fierce opposition um, in British Columbia. I'm sorry, it wasn't trans. It was Kinder Morgan who first started. Yeah, this. I was going to say, yeah. I thought it was Kinder Morgan yeah. on Brunch. First it was Kinder Morgan, then Trans Mountain, and now Trans Canada. Trans Canada. Yeah. Ooh, too, much, too much caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, so let me just tell you where, uh, where, where I'm laughing at this. So, this is what they're going to do. They're going to sell it to the indigenous tribes who at one point were protesting this. Yeah. The government of Canada is going to finance the deal. You don't see why that's funny yet? So the no, same, no, people that were, same people that were protesting are now going to own the pipeline, paid for by the government's government, money. Yeah. And Trans Mountain is going to walk Canada. Trans Canada is going to walk away with no pipeline problems and a wad of cash. Paid, I mean, for, paid yeah. for by the Canadian citizens. Wow. Wow. They like it's like one in the lottery. Uh, for them, for Trans Canada, it is yeah. Um, it is this is not how this project should have happened, and to have to get to the point where the government in Canada is going to use taxpayers' money to finance a sale of an infrastructure project to the same indigenous wow. tribes who protest it. Yeah, see how see how messed up that is. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call it funny. I, 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 Sad in some ways. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. It's it sad that it had to get to that point. Yeah. It's really what it is. And so the government's going to set up a special investment vehicle and make this thing happen. It is going to be interesting to see um, around North America, so not just in Canada, but also here in the U.S., you have indigenous tribes that I think intentionally try to leverage these oil and gas companies, especially pipeline companies, um, for more money, right? The, the, the pipeline company negotiates a deal with the tribe. The tribe agrees to it. 
um, they start construction and the tribe comes back and yeah, they, we've covered that yeah, so many times. times, so many times. This is basically the tribe winning. Uh, it's gonna be interesting to see if other indigenous groups copycat this. Well, so I I think it's a win win period. Well, for Trans Canada, they just get rid of they're just washing their hands of something without losing. Yeah, but any isn't money. it the pipeline? Isn't it necessary? hundred percent necessary. Well, yeah, so it's a win win. It just it's it's messed up that they had to go about it in that manner. Yeah, well, it's also messed up that the, basically the indigenous tribe was able to leverage and get what they wanted in a kind of roundabout way. Yeah. Business is business. If you negotiate a deal with anything, your house, <laughs> the guy that cuts your lawn, uh, whatever, and you don't like the deal later, you shouldn't be able to change it, right? Unless some, somebody did something wrong. And you shouldn't use the court of public opinion to stop things because you don't like the deal that you signed. Oh, that's just, that's social. That's, yeah. Anyway. All right, let's move on. Uh, Nigeria blows up illicit oil vessels and airstrike operation. Nigeria's not playing around, people. No. So we've talked a long time about black market oil, about corruption, and Nigeria used to be one of the worst for both. Uh, this is Nigerian uh, security forces um, actually uh, literally destroyed three vessels, stealing crew from a pipeline with airstrikes. Um, they also spotted another a re illegal refining site um, uh, that had tanks and reservoirs and pipelines. I think how much work and money it was to build something that illegal. Um, this site was also destroyed a week later with an airstrike. Um, um, the government basically says, quote, the days of treating criminal elements in our country with kids' gloves is over. Good. Yep. Good for them. Yep. We must continue on this trajectory until we bring all of them to their knees. Um, this is the air marshal, um, which is basically the, the in charge of the Nigeria's air force. Um, now, Besides the airstrikes destroying the facilities, the uh, the tr boots on the ground, Nigerian military destroyed 36 legal refining sites and arrested 22 wow. suspected oil thieves uh, in the Delta. Um, it looks like they were re refining illegally um, three, over 310,000 uh, liters of crude, um, over 14,000 liters of, of um, basically gasoline, and then a bunch of kerosene. Uh, they recovered a bunch of assorted weapons, many of which came actually from Russia. Um, I'm not surprised by yeah. that. Yeah. So Nigeria is trying to clean stuff up, including the fact that they're going to blow you up if they catch you doing bad stuff. I actually support this 110%. Oh, yeah. I'd like to see more countries step up and say, look, this is wrong. Don't do it. Warning once, warning twice, warning three. We, we, we take you out. Yep. Talk and I tell some, you what, some integrity. Those, those those three tankers that were taking the uh, illegal oil that they destroyed, you're not going to be able to replace those. No. And who's going to buy a tanker and move illegal oil again in Nigeria? Probably after this? nobody. Yep. They might try, but I don't think they're going to succeed. I bet nobody tries again. I bet this sends a clear message. Good. I hope it does. All right. Uh, last one. Just stop pissing us off, activists surrounded by counter-protesters. <laughs> so this is what's funny about this, if you don't know why I'm laughing, is there's a group in the UK, um, which, which... You've made, you've made besties with. <laughs> yeah. Um, called Just Stop Pissing People Off. And um, what they're doing is they don't like the social disruption Just Stop Oil is causing. So they're protesting the protesters. This is a good article to read about uh, what happened, but the bottom line is the, the counter-protesters, the Just Stop Pissing People Off, dressed exactly the same as the Just Stop Oil people, the same orange T-shirts and, and the, oh, the orange uh, vests. vests and everything. And then they just surrounded them and, and, and just stood there. The Just Stop Oil people lasted about an hour, and they all left, and the, and the disruption was gone. 
(laughs) (laughs) So just stop pissing people off. I love how you handled that. That was nonviolent. Yep. Right? You made your point. You helped your your fellow citizens in the UK um, because the thing that the just stop all people do is they basically sit in the roads and they stop traffic, um, which is they say they're a nonviolent uh, a protest organization. They're right in that gray area of nonviolent, right? So um, I like the fact there's a counter group. Once again, uh, want to make sure we warn everybody: don't let this turn into an anti-renewables movement. I support this. Just stop pissing people off, right? Being the counter protesters. But don't blame renewable energy for any of this. This is young people who have whose hearts are in the right place. They think they're doing the right thing. They just stop all guys. Um, but they're just they're misinformed. And I I did a bunch of research on this for the balance point. And Paige, I don't think this is just a bunch of young people that are misinformed, right? I, I think this is something bigger and better. And oh, it, it's an agenda. It, well, it's an agenda. It's like we talk about that all the time. Yeah, that's being pushed by other people, other organizations, and it's it's based on making money. Um, and unfortunately, these young kids don't realize they're being a pawn and in, in something. They just stop all people. They're pawns. And what much do you think cleaner. they get out of it besides attention? Um we can talk about that on, on the balance. On the, on, on, on the, I was about to say the balance. <laughs> we point. can talk there too on the on behind the curtain. <laughs> okay, that's good. Well, um, let's uh, look at the rig count. Uh, the United States is down five at six fifty four. Canada's up two at one ninety. Internationally, we're down six at nine sixty one. Yeah, I think that trend will turn around in a couple of months. We'll see. Speaking of seeing stuff, if you want to pay attention to what we're doing, go to our LinkedIn page. You really, really, if you haven't done it yet, you need to. We have a whole bunch of new things coming out, not just new podcasts, new offerings, new ways of doing business. We have new people. Um, OGGN is uh, is hitting its stride, right? And we're getting ready to accelerate that in a way that no other oil and gas network can even come close to. And it's going to be fun and it's going to be interesting and uh, all good stuff. And you're going to find out about it first on our LinkedIn company page. Uh, Go ahead and go and just click and follow it so you can stay on top of things. Uh, The monthly oil and gas events newsletter, that's a modal point newsletter, is getting ready to change. It's it's, we're revamping it because it has been needed to be upgraded for a decade. We're moving it over to OGGN. So if you're a subscriber to that uh, events newsletter, and if you're not, I don't know why you should be. Um, we take every oil and gas event that's out there, put it in this newsletter once a month, put it in your inbox for free. That way you can stay up to date. Plus, you get invited to stuff that public doesn't know about, secret stuff, coupons, free tickets, whatever. Um, if you're already a subscriber, um, in September, you'll get the revamped email, but it will be from OGGN, not Modal Point. Um, and then we have another newsletter that you will also get, also from OGGN. Um, if you signed up uh, for this newsletter, there's nothing for you to do. If you haven't signed up, sign up now or wait till the new links come out uh, in September for the new newsletter. If you'd like myself or any of our experts to come to anything and do something really fun, um, it's always great to have live podcasts. Uh, if you'd like to fly us out to a high-end resort uh, like Prairie is and a uh, help. Edu- yeah, because I love interviewing <laughs> higher-ups, man. Yeah. Uh, feel free to reach out. Just happy to share the details. First Friday Q&A, you know the de- drill. If you want to ask a question, you either go to oilandgasthisweek.com or OGGN.com. Both have places to ask a question. You can also submit questions on any of our social channels. Uh, if we read your question on the air, you'll get a big shout-out. If we don't read your question on the air, there's probably a reason. Ready out of here? Yep. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.
Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.